0: Welcome to Gateway Church. We are so glad you could join us this week. Now let's listen in as our pastor is ready to present the sermon. Y'all may be seated. Again, it is great to have you here at Gateway Church. Now this is a, a really kind of a cool day. Uh, yesterday was a really special day for the Gateway family in a couple of ways. Uh, one, Pastor Jennifer and Pastor Brecken got married. So, so two of our pastors married each other yesterday, and that was a fun celebration. And then our church got a little bit bigger because uh, Cam and Becca Garrett had their baby girl yesterday, so now we have two new sets of, I guess you're not new grandparents, but two sets of grandparents again here here at Gateway Church. So, you know, October 12th is a pretty spectacular day here at Gateway Church, um, so uh, yeah, great great week here, and we're glad you're here this morning uh, for a lot of reasons, but I'm really glad you're here because we are continuing this teaching series called Vertigo, and in this series we are looking at... The fact that in our world, if we follow what culture, if we follow what society, what the people around us are saying or doing, um, life can be really frustrating. I mean, you're supposed to pursue with everything you have to achieve certain goals. You're supposed to work hard, you're supposed to do all the right things to get all the right toys, to have all the right positions and privilege. I mean, we, we you know, work hard, get ahead, chase the American dream. Only most Americans are discovering that the American dream is a lie and, and it ends up pretty hollow. And that we work really hard to get to the top of the ladder only to discover that the ladder might be against the wrong wall. And and that's a frustrating place to be. And in this series, what we're looking at is, is maybe if we look through a different set of values, if we look at life through a different lens, and we turn everything upside down and backwards from the way we've always been taught to do it, that maybe, just maybe in that process, life will get better, and we'll get better at life. And so that's what this series is all about, looking at life through a different lens, a lens that Jesus gives us, looking at at life and and chasing a different set of values and in the process, and you've heard me say it hundreds of times over the years, but but as we begin to pursue this, we discover that life gets better and we get better at life. So that's what we've been doing Uh, last week, that's where the series is going to go for the next several weeks. Uh, Grab a Bible, you're going to need your Bibles this morning. Grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 is where we will be in just a couple of minutes. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We have house Bibles. If you look under the seat there in front of you, grab a house Bible, open it up to page 569 if you want to use the house Bible. Also, if you don't have an easy to read Bible at home, take the house Bible. It's a gift. No questions asked. You can track along. It's all going to be on the screen. It's already in your note-taking guide. And if you have the Gateway app, and I know we talk about the app a lot, but there's a lot of cool things with it. If If you have the app, if you go to Today's Notes, you can open it up and all the text is there. Plus, you can fill out the notes as you go along and email it to yourself when service is over. So, real, real easy to track along if you want to do that. Now, the lens we're looking through, or the lenses... ...that we're looking through come from a passage of Scripture, and most Bibles have things labeled. So if your Bible has these labels, it might call this the Beatitudes... Um, it'll be right after the, the Sermon on the Mount, and then you get got a couple verses that says the Beatitudes. And in most Bibles, it's, the formatting changes. It's written more like poetry than prose. Um, and that's because Jesus is giving a series of sayings here. And so let's talk just real quick about what a Beatitude is, because that's a word that we don't use in our culture, unless you're talking about this passage of Scripture. Nobody ever talks about what a Beatitude is. And it's just a fancy Latin word that means a blessing. So this is the blessings. And Jesus gives this blessings and we talked last week about what the word blessing means because it's also we use that word we throw it around but but if we're going to get it in the right context Jesus was a Jewish man he was thinking like a Jewish man he was speaking from a Jewish perspective and when he says the word blessing what he means is happy satisfied joyful because you're on the right path so when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing when you know you're on the right road there's a sense of peace and satisfaction in your heart you know what I'm talking about you've been there when you're doing the right thing know that there's just a sense of fulfillment as a result that's what Jesus is talking about here so he says blessed and 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 there's eight of them so blessed are the for they will so eight times he says blessed are the and he gives a character trait or or a lens to look at life through and then he says then here's why that is a blessing started last week by by looking at the blessing of uh, he Jesus says blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and we're like what does that even mean And if you boil it all down, the poor in spirit simply means the humble. Blessed are those who are humble enough to know who and what they are. Blessed are those happy, satisfied, on the right road, are those who are willing to go, you know what, I don't have it all figured out, and I need help. And we said last week that God is attracted. He finds our humility irresistible, and other people do too. When we live with that humility in our life, it draws people to us. It's one of the best ways to bring reconciliation and redemption and restoration to our broken relationships. It's one of the best ways to have God draw close to us is to, to appreciate who and what we are. So we, we started last week. Jesus says, blessed are the humble, or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to continue this week, and as we do, we're going to start with a little bit of a word association game. Okay, so I'm going to say a word. If you go to Gateway very much, you know interactive church is always in play. So when I say the word, you tell me what comes to your mind. So if I use the word sorrow, what do you think? Sadness, death. What else? Grief. Okay, so sadness, death, grief. All right, if you look up the dictionary definition, sorrow simply means distress caused by loss or or disappointment. So that makes sense, right? You, you've had sorrow because you lost something, someone in your life. You've, you've had sorrow because you were disappointed about something in life. So that makes sense. So let's throw out the word grief. What comes to mind? Oh, wow, the group got real quiet. I think it loss. It's everything we said for sorrow. <laughs> That's what, I mean, right? And they, it, and they overlap. So grief is actually, I love this definition, keen mental suffering over loss. Or disappointment. So sorrow is, I'm sad about it. Grief, it's maybe the next step further. It's a little bit past sorrow. It's it's this keen suffering over what you've lost, over what's missing, over where you've been hit and where you've been hurt. So here's another one, mourn or mourning. When you think of someone who is in mourning, what what comes to your mind? Crying. Crying, okay. Death again, yeah, pain, anger, right? We have these, these emotions that are now expressed. So when we have sorrow, we have grief. Mourning is how those are expressed. We pour out our and people can see it. You know somebody who is mourning. You you can usually see someone who is mourning. It's I mean sometimes they, they keep it bottled up, but usually when someone's going through grief, you can see that mourning process happening. So we got sorrow, we got grief, we got mourning. And here's another one: jealousy. What'd you say? Fear, huh? Envy. That's the next one on my list, Nick. Nick's getting ahead of me here. So uh, somebody said something What when you hear jealousy. Okay, envy. What comes to your mind when you hear the word envy? Desire. Desire, Wanting something. Okay, so here's the thing. At first glance, sorrow, grief, and mourning, they make sense to cluster those three together, right? Jealousy and envy don't necessarily fit in that list. Because I saw the look in some of your faces, you were like, I don't get it. Here's the list, and this other list. But so here, here's what we need to know, and most people don't think about this: jealousy and envy are forms of mourning. You are mourning what you don't have, and somebody else does have. Thomas Aquinas was one of the early church fathers. He put it this way: if you take a note, write it down. Envy is sorrow at another's good. Envy is sorrow at another person's good. You know what I'm talking about, right? They have it. You don't have it. And you feel distressed. You feel angry. You feel frustrated because they have it and you don't. And you deserve it. You're better than they are, right? You worked hard. They've got it. You, you want it. And, and so what happens is we mourn, if you will, we have this sorrow because they have something that feels like it's lacking in my life. I would say that jealousy and envy are, are founded in scarcity. In other words, jealousy and envy can only see what I don't have. And what happens is when when jealousy and envy are present, I don't realize what I do have because I'm only focused on what I don't have. I don't realize the blessings. I don't realize the good. I don't realize the extra that I might have because all I can see is what I don't have. And to make it worse, you do have it. And then we get a little upset about that, don't we? Now, we all want to say we don't wrestle with envy. But the truth is, every one of us in this room wrestles with envy. Your pastor is no exception. Several years ago, when things weren't so rosy at Gateway Church, when we were having a really tough time, things were going bad, every week there were less people here, it was just a mess. And for those of you who were kind of on the inside of that mess, you know what I'm talking about. It was, it was a rough go around here at Gateway Church 10, 12 years ago. Um, at that same time, I had a really good friend who was pastoring a church in another, another town, another state, actually. And we would call regularly to talk to each other, and his church was doing Great. And so we'd get on the phone and he'd talk about people getting saved and people getting baptized and what they were doing in the community and their church was growing. And I would hang up from those phone calls angry, angry at him. Well, this isn't right. Why, why is his church growing? I'm a better pastor than he is, right? Well, why, 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 is, why are people coming to know Jesus in his church? What's going on with our church? What's wrong here? What's, and I would be angry at him. And if I'm going to be real honest, if you want to pull back the layers, there were days I wish, I wish something bad would happen at his church. Man, I wish he would just move somewhere else. Right? Isn't that awful? Isn't that, isn't, I mean, isn't that gross? You're like, Pastor Steve, I'm just being real. And every one of us have been there. Every one of us have been there when they were getting the promotion that I deserved. When they were able to have kids and we weren't. When, when their family was all put together and our family was falling apart at the seams. Right? When their business was taken off and our business... Now, we won't come out and say that, but, but we've all wrestled with envy. Envy is sorrow over what we don't have and grief over what you do have. And our culture creates this. This is, this is a natural part of the culture we live in. Because the culture we live in tells us you should have it. You earned it. You worked for it. You should get it. And when you don't get it, something's wrong. And our culture has taught us that that life is a zero-sum game. So that if you're getting it, it must be because I'm losing it. If you're doing well, it's because I'm doing poor. If you want it, you must want to take it from me. That's what culture tells us. It tells us that there's not enough to go around. And so if you're being blessed, I'm not being blessed. If you're doing well, I'm doing poorly. If you want it, you want to take it from me. That's the way our culture has trained us to think. And so what happens is we mourn over what other people have. We mourn over what other people have because when we look at what we have, we feel incomplete. By the way, feeling incomplete isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, God wants us to recognize it. Let's go back to last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you're taking notes, write this down. We feel incomplete because we are incomplete. We feel incomplete because we are incomplete. The problem is we try to make complete by taking from other people. I know I'm not whole. I know I'm incomplete. And so I try to fill up those gaps in my life by, by getting it from you. The problem is what you have was never designed to fill up the gaps in my life. In fact, anything I can get in the world around me was never designed to fill up the gaps in my life, and so what happens is we we envy, we we will we have jealousy, we will fight to get what other people have, and all we do is we still feel empty, and now they feel more empty. We add to the problem, we don't solve the problem, right? So Jesus says, "I have a solution for this. You need to change your lens." You need to look at life from a different direction. Stop mourning over what you don't have and what other people do have. And Jesus lends Jesus solution to this is our second beatitude, Matthew chapter 5 verse 4. Jesus says this, it's on the screen. Jesus says, "Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted." Wait a minute, time out, pastor. A, what does that even mean? And we're going to unpack it. But B, didn't you just say the problem is that we're mourning for all the wrong stuff? Now, how can mourning be the solution to mourning? And the answer is that we're mourning for the wrong things. We're mourning. We're, we're grieving over the wrong stuff. We're grieving over what we don't have. So let's look at what Jesus is talking about here. He says, blessed are those who mourn, which all by itself seems a little weird, because how can you be blessed, happy, satisfied, fulfilled, On the right road, by mourning. That didn't seem to make sense at all. And so, let's look at what this mourning is all about. Because the question immediately pops up, well, if blessed are those who mourn, then does Jesus want us to be heartbroken? Does Jesus want us to be sorrowful? Does Jesus want pain in our lives? And that's not where we're going. In fact, I I want to take a real quick time out and say this. If your heart has been broken, the relationship fell apart. Death took somebody you love. The doctor gave a diagnosis that absolutely is devastating. The job went away. Whatever. If your heart is broken, here's what you need to know. Jesus wants to comfort you. He wants to be our source of comfort, okay? Understand that. But that is not the morning we're talking about today. So we're going to set that aside. That is, that is true. Jesus wants to comfort us. Wherever you are hurting, Jesus, if you'll give it to him, he loves to comfort. But we're we're going to get a little more specific today. Because we mourn over all kinds of things, right? I mean, if, if you go to church often enough, and you've heard me talk about it, we should mourn over the injustices in the world. We should mourn over war, over famine, over disease, over, over children being sold into slavery. Over, I mean, there, there's a whole mess in our world that should break our hearts. We should mourn over injustices. Most of us don't mourn over that enough. Most of us do mourn over the injustices that have been done to us, Right? let's be honest, if somebody has wronged you, you grieve that in your own special way. But what Jesus is talking about here is different. It's very, very, very personal. Rather than mourn over the injustices done to us, what Jesus is challenging us to do here is to mourn over the injustices we have done. See, nobody wants to talk about this. Can we just go home now, Pastor Steve? (laughs) Right? Most of us are really good at mourning over what's happened to us. Some of us are okay at mourning what's happened in general and all the bad stuff in the world. But very few of us mourn over the injustices we have caused. And when Jesus says, blessed, satisfied, fulfilled, on the right path are those who mourn, he's talking about those of us who mourn over what we've done. When we think about wrongdoing, we naturally go to the wrongdoing done to us or the generalized wrongdoing in the world. 99 out of 100 times, we do not go to what I've done wrong. It's just not how we're wired. But when Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, he's talking about those who mourn for what they have done. G.K. Chesterton was uh, an author in the late 19th century, uh, very well-known author, British author. Uh, he wrote, uh, you've probably heard some of his poetry. He wrote magazine articles, books. He was very well-known, very famous, popular author from England, late nineteen hundred. 19th century, early 20th century, um, very much in demand. And one day he was being interviewed by a magazine editor. And the editor, knowing that the world was a mess at the time, there were plenty of war and, and stuff going on, he looks at Chesterton, and, and knowing Chesterton was a man of God, he looks at him and says, tell me, Mr. Chesterton, what's wrong with the universe? And G.K. Chesterton answered with two words, I am. I am. What's wrong with the universe? And he had one answer. Me. I am. And that's the mourning Jesus is talking about. Until we can come to the place when we honestly answer, what's wrong with the universe? Me. I am the problem with the universe. Until we get there, we're not really mourning over what we've done. And most of us don't want to get there, right? Most of us don't want to get to the place where we recognize, I'm what's wrong with the universe. Because here's what we do. I compare me to you. Right? And compared to you, I can always find somewhere where I'm better than you. You know, right? And you can always find somewhere where you're better than me. And as long as I'm comparing it against, you know, everyone else, I'm all right. Okay? Don't we do that? We forget about ourselves. I'm not robbing banks. I'm not kicking puppies. I don't love cats. Um, so I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. These other people—that's the wrong comparison. In the book of Isaiah, chapter six. Now, Isaiah was a prophet. God calls Isaiah to speak to the leaders of the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was very much like America is today. They'd gone way off the deep end. They were oppressing the poor. They were the rich were getting richer at the expense of the poor. They were, it was it was a mess in their culture. Life was not valued. Very similar to us. And so, God calls Isaiah to go confront. His culture with this truth, but before he does that, he wants to get Isaiah ready. So one day Isaiah is in the temple. He's essentially he's gone to church and he's worshiping God. And while he's worshiping God, he has this vision of God sitting on a throne. He has this vision of God, who God really is. And I love Isaiah's response in Isaiah chapter six verse five. It should be on the screen. Isaiah sees God and he says this: "Woe to me!" In other words, oops, uh oh, oh no, I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In other words, Isaiah compared himself to God and realized, oh. I mean, I could always compare myself to somebody worse than me. But when I see God, when I see the holiness of God, when I see the righteousness of God, the question, what's wrong with the universe, is pretty easily answered. I am. Because God loves unconditionally, and I love you if you let me have the parking place, right? God loves unconditionally, but I love you if you don't annoy me today. God loves us unconditionally. I love you if you vote the way I vote, if you believe the same way I do on certain issues, if you, right, you root for the same sports team, if you, whatever, you know. As long as as you, you know, meet my criteria, I love you. But God loves us regardless. And when I stand myself up next to God, the only proper answer is, woe is me. I'm ruined, I'm unclean, right? And most of us are like, whoa, 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 time out, Pastor. I'm really not that bad. I I Really, I'm, I'm not all that bad. And Isaiah takes that away from us too. Several chapters later in Isaiah 64, it's on the screen. Isaiah says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all have shriveled up like a leaf in the wind, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. In other words, on my best day, I'm still the problem in the universe. Now, this isn't, again, popular, this isn't fun. Nobody wants to come to church and hear this. It's like, ugh, what do we do with that? Right? Thanks for the pep talk, pastor. Have a good week. Fortunately, that's not the end of the story. Right? Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for, in other words, there's more to the story for they will be comforted. You see, most of us don't want to admit who we are because we're afraid to come to God and admit who we are. Just like when you were a kid and you screwed up, you didn't want to come to Dad and admit you screwed up, right? Because you knew what was on the other side of that, didn't you? Oh, I'm going to get yelled at, I'm going to get a lecture, maybe I'm going to get a spank, whatever it is. There's going to be, right? When you run the pickup truck into the fire hydrant, you don't want to tell Dad, right? Sorry. Sorry. Dad's here today. (laughs) Um, Right? We, We don't want to do that because we're afraid of what will happen. But King David goes, no, 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 there's a way to do this. See, that's actually what God wants is for you to come to him all broken. If you remember the story of David, king of Israel, should have gone to war with his people and he doesn't, has an affair with the neighbor lady, gets her pregnant and then tries to hide that by having her husband killed. And then a prophet comes and confronts David, and later when David looks back on this, here's what David writes. It's a song about this. Psalm 51, David writes these words. He's talking to God. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice, I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. In other words, you don't want me to go to church more often, God. You don't want me to give you more stuff. That's not what God wants. He continues in verse 70. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In other words, when you own who you are and you come to God, he loves that. When you realize, I'm what's wrong with the universe. When you realize that I have caused pain in the lives of the people I love the most. I have caused pain in the lives of people I don't even know. I'm selfish and I'm rude sometimes and, and I, you know, i I'm envious and whatever. You, we start listing those things that we don't want to talk about in ourselves. And we bring it to God. And we, David says we're truly broken over it. We're truly hurt over the hurt we've caused. He says God finds that a beautiful gift. In fact, he says this in Psalm 103. It should be on the screen. It says when we come to him, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. How many of you are happy right there? We could just stop right there. We're happy that he doesn't treat us the way we deserve. Going on, he says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. When we acknowledge who and what we are, says, he doesn't treat us how we deserve. Isn't that nice to know? <laughs> how, how awesome would it be to know that when you broke that relationship. You went back to the person you broke it with. They weren't going to treat you how you deserved. They were going to love you instead. How, I mean, how comforting would that be? And God, the creator of the universe, makes this promise. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. What's not spoken here, what's hinted at here is he's already given it to someone else. I'm not going to give you what you deserve because I'm a father who has compassion on you. In fact, he's going to do what Isaiah discovers in Isaiah chapter six. Let's jump back to Isaiah for a minute. When Isaiah says, "Woe is me! I'm ruined," he expects punishment. But instead, the story tells us that an angel goes to the altar, it takes a coal, and he comes and he touches Isaiah's mouth with it. It's a symbol of cleansing, and it's, uh, and he says to Isaiah, "Your guilt is taken away for, and your sin is atoned for." When we are honest about who and what we are, poor in spirit. And when it breaks our heart, and we come and we dump that brokenness out of the feet of God, he doesn't say, I told you so. Now you're in trouble. He says, come here. Let me clean it. Let me make you that wholeness we're looking for. He says, let me give you that wholeness. Like a child and any of you, we talked about toddlers last week, so those of you who have toddlers in your house, you know what I'm talking about when I talk, when I talk about this. You have a toddler, and they probably have a favorite toy. Most toddlers have a, a toy or two that they love to death. Um, and that toy breaks. And when the toy breaks, the toddler's heart breaks. You, you remember that? And they cry, and they cry, and it doesn't work anymore. And, then, and, and you're like, what's all the tears about? And then you pick that toddler up, and you can pat him on the back and say, It's okay. It's okay, and they feel better because mommy or daddy's holding them, patting them on the back, and they feel better. There's some comfort, but there's no wholeness because the toy's still broken, or that stuffed animal is still at the gas station 80 miles back, all right, or that toy man is sitting on a shelf at Lowe's somewhere, Um, right? So God doesn't just pick us up and pat us on the back and go, it's okay. God picks us, pats us on the back, it's going to be okay. And then he fixes the toy. He drives back to the gas station. He goes back to Lowe's and he walks the aisles till he finds the missing army man that we were very attached to when we were three years old. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. Doesn't, that's what this is a picture of. This isn't a picture of a God going, you get what you deserve. This isn't a picture of God going, hey, it's okay. This is a picture of a God saying, Let me comfort you, and let me fix it. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. When I mourn my sin, God's wholeness can begin. And I know it rhymes, and and maybe that's cheesy, but if it helps you remember it, this is so crucial. When I mourn my sin, when I admit who and what I am, poor in spirit, To the point that I mourn over it. I am broken for the mess I've made in other people's lives. I'm broken for the mess I've made in this world. I can honestly answer the question, what's wrong with the universe? I am. And it kills me. When I mourn my sin, that's when God's wholeness, God's healing, God's forgiveness can begin in our lives. And so many of us are lacking that wholeness. We're longing for it. The problem is we're trying to get it through envy and jealousy. We're trying to get it from other people. If, if I could only have what you have, if I only could get what you've got, and God's like, no, 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 no. If you would just let your heart break over who and what you are, I'll give you more than you ever knew you needed. I'll give you a peace and a wholeness and a holiness that can't even be described. Described. So it's no wonder Jesus says, blessed, happy because they're on the right road are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are those who recognize who and what they are and are honest with God about it. Because in that moment, he comes in and he starts to make us whole again. So what do we do with this? What's the takeaway this morning, Pastor Steve? And this one may not be as simple as some. Sometimes it's a very simple, challenging, but simple takeaway. Today's may not be as simple. In fact, today's isn't. not only is it not simple, it's also hard. But here's the challenge. I would ask you, whether this morning when we take communion in a few minutes, or maybe you need more time, so maybe throughout the week, I would challenge you to pray this prayer. God, break my heart for who and what I am we don't want to pray that prayer because A, we don't want a broken heart and B, we don't really want to admit who and what we are but I challenge you this week spend some time praying God break my heart for who and what I am show me where I fit into the answer what's wrong with the universe I am show me show me who I've hurt show me, show me where I've, where I've added to the mess in our world God break my heart over me Because when that starts to happen, the next thing that happens is truly amazing. When our hearts break over us, he starts to pour grace all over us. He starts to draw us close to him and say, it's going to be okay. And I've already started fixing it. And the wholeness that we so desperately long for begins to come together. That it can't happen until we let him break our hearts over us. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to close in prayer. After I pray, you're free to get up and take communion. We have two communion tables at the front, one at the back. You don't have to be a member here at Gateway Church to receive communion. We just ask that you be walking in a right relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you're using this moment to get right with Jesus. But after I pray, you're free to get up and start taking communion. If you choose to do that today, in that moment, when you take the bread, you take the cup, we're representing the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Broken and shed to make whole what isn't whole. Broken and shed to fix what's wrong with the universe, which is me. Broken and shed because I am what's wrong with the universe. And if you choose to take communion this morning, would you, A, first of all, do so with just this incredibly thankful heart that he doesn't treat us as we deserve, and instead he gives us grace. And two, in that moment, would you ask him, Father, break my heart over me. Show me who and what I am like never before so I can dump it at your feet because I know in that moment you're going you're gonna to bring the comfort that I desperately need. So let me pray. And then we're going to take communion and then Pastor Mark and the man are going to lead us in another song. Father, we come to you. And your grace is truly amazing. And we try to explain it. We try to nail it down. We try to... To define it and the truth is there's just no way to do that what we know is you don't treat us the way we deserve to be treated you don't give us what we've earned you give us grace and so this morning i pray that we would be willing to let you break our hearts over who and what we are and if we're not willing if we're resisting then i pray that you would just send your spirit to gently guide us to that place where we can say Father break me break my heart over my sin over my mess, over who and what I am because when we do that we have this promise, you don't treat us like we deserve, you give us grace, you make us whole You, you treat us as a father who truly loves his children and you pick us up and you comfort us and you bring healing and you bring restoration So Jesus, give us the courage to pray that you would break us and let us fall in your grace. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening this week and please join us again for next week's sermon. And in the meantime, please feel free to check out our website at mygatewaychurch.tv, where you can find our email addresses and links to our social media pages. In addition, you can also download our mobile app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Just search for gatewaychurch-mo. Thanks again, and God bless.